Well, I, I want to start with a confession. And that confession is that I have some big temptations in my life that can destroy my life. That can destroy my kids. That can destroy my marriage. That can destroy my reputation. That can destroy our church. But the truth is, so do you. We're all tempted by things we know are unhealthy and that are hurtful. And if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, why are we, why are you tempted by things that in your right mind you know you don't really want to do, but in the moment you are so tempted to do? Why are we, why are you tempted to do the things, tempted to do things you know are going to hurt yourself or hurt other people? I mean, None of us want to be overweight, but how many times are we so tempted to eat more, eat more, eat more, just eat junk that we know is not good for us? We all know how destructive lying is. You know, and none of us want to be lied to, and none of us want our kids to lie. And we always say, you, you know, our boss or employee shouldn't lie. But how many times are you tempted to lie to get ahead or to save yourself or to not get in trouble? We all go, hey, cheating's really bad. You know, none of us want to cheat. None of us want other people to cheat. But some of us are tempted to cheat right now on our taxes or on that test or on our team or on our spouse. On our spouse. I mean, what is that? None of us want to be in another bad relationship, another that, that's, that's hurtful. But how many times are we tempted to, maybe you're tempted to jump back into a, tempt, a, a relationship that you know is going to be so hurtful for you. Anyone who's addicted to anything, to drugs, to alcohol, to cigarettes, hates it. Said, I don't want to do that. Yet is tempted to go back to it again and again and again. If you're a parent, I mean, you want to have a great relationship with your kids and spend great time with your kids. And how many times are you tempted to sacrifice time with them for more? work or to hang out with your friends or things that are just not important. And we're all tempted by things. Why is it so hard to turn away from temptation? Why is it, what is it that, you know, leads us, leads you to keep falling into the same temptations over and over and over again? How do we break the power of temptation in our lives? I mean, is it even possible to do that? Well, I believe with everything in me that the answer is yes. But it ain't going to happen by accident. And what you've got to know is that defeating temptation, it's not primarily about self-control. Does it require self-control? Absolutely. It's just not primarily about it. See, there's so much more going on behind the curtain of our temptations than a lack of self-control. And I believe in order to break the power and control of temptation requires seeing the truth of what's behind the curtain of our temptations. Uh, m most of us have seen the movie Wizard of Oz. I grew up watching that movie. If you haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert coming up. And if you're like, oh, I was going to watch it this weekend, it's been out 50 years. All right, so you lose. Uh, that, by the way, that movie weirds me out. And it weirds me out for what, still to this day, I get weirded out watching it. And I finally realize what it is. It's the flying monkeys. I, you know what I'm talking about? It's weird. You know, anyway, but you know how the movie goes, you know, Dorothy and, and Candace, and there's a tornado, and then she ends up in this place called Oz, and she wants to get back home to Kansas, and everyone's saying, in order to get back home, the only way to get back home is to go find Oz, the Wizard of Oz, you know, he's the one who has the power and the control to send you, and so the whole movie is about her and her friends going on this adventure to go find the Wizard of Oz, and they finally get to the wizard's castle, and they get ushered in to go uh, see the wizard, and here's what they see. This is the Wizard of Oz, and he's terrifying, and he, and he has power, and he control, and he seems unwilling to help them. He's just scaring them, and all of a sudden, remember, the dog Toto runs over, sees a curtain to the side, and grabs the curtain, and yanks the curtain over, uh, you know, and, 
uh, and after he opens the curtain, remember this is what they see behind the curtain? It's this old man who's actually the wizard running this illusion that the wizard is this scary, terrifying thing, and he's working the machine and speaking into the microphone, and as soon as he realizes that they seize him, he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You remember this, and when, he, you know, when, when they saw behind the curtain, the wizard, he lost all power. He lost all control. He wasn't terrifying anymore to them. He's just this old man. See, I believe in order to break the power and control of our temptations requires, just like Dorothy, seeing the truth of what's behind the curtain of our temptations. So that's exactly what we're going to do over the next four weeks. Over the next few weeks, we're going to discover truths hidden behind the curtain that, that in the moment of temptation, we don't see, don't know, or don't remember. And to do this, we're actually going to look at a crazy story in the life of Jesus when he was tempted. And the story is recorded in, in Matthew 4. But just to let the cat out of the bag, here's a word. We're going to discover as we look at the temptations that Jesus faced. We're going to discover that behind the curtain of every temptation, there's always more at stake than we realize. You have been tempted. You probably currently are being tempted. You will be tempted. And you want temptation to lose power and control in your life because behind the curtain of your temptations, there's always more at stake than you realize. And you can break the power and control of temptation, but it requires seeing what's the truth of what's behind the curtain and opening your mind and heart to it. So let's do this. Over the next few weeks, let's open our mind. Let's open our heart uh, because there's always more at stake than you realize. Now, if you would say, I'm not a, you know, not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a church person. I'm not into this whole, you know, someone just dragged me here. I accidentally logged on, and it's just like a train wreck, so I can't look away. I get it. I'm so glad you're logged on or, or you're here. But let me just tell you. You have temptation too, because temptation is it's not, a, it's not a faith in Jesus issue, it's not a Christian issue, it's not a Bible issue. Temptation, it's a human issue. And every single day you're faced with temptations that can destroy your life and destroy other people's lives, regardless of what you believe about Jesus. So throughout this series, you can, you can apply everything we're talking about and not believe anything written in the Bible. And I think you should, because it's going to make your life better, it's going to make your future better. But for those of us who say that we're followers of Christ, those of us who have have put our faith in Jesus. You need to know that what you do and what I do with this series will either help us follow Jesus or will deter us from following Jesus. And as you know, us following Jesus or not affects the life and hope and peace and joy that only Jesus can give. Now, to understand the significance of Jesus' temptations and the truth of what was behind the curtain of it, we need to first be reminded of who Jesus was and what our Heavenly Father sent him to do. The, the, the entire Bible is the story of God's, God restoring humanity's broken relationship with him. And the climax of this story culminates with Jesus. Uh, right at the beginning of the Bible, we see creator God created humanity in his perfect image to be in a perfect, intimate, unhindered relationship with him. A relationship where he is perfectly glorified through us and we experience his perfect presence. But three chapters, I mean three chapters into the Bible, what we now call the fall occurred. And the fall is when sin entered the world through humanity's choice to sin. The writers of scripture make it very clear that humanity's choice to sin was a violation. It was a violation against holy creator God. A violation against his created intent for us, which is to be holy how he is holy. And it's a violation against his created purpose for us, which is to glorify him. 
Jesus and the writers of Scripture made it very clear that from that point forward, from the point of the fall forward, that every person, you, me, every single one, are guilty of sin. Jesus made it clear that sin is such a violation against Holy Creator God that it continues to break our relationship with Him. The writers of Scripture tell us that the relationship with God that we broke because of our sin, it comes with a huge penalty. It comes with a huge consequence, and that penalty is death. Death, being separated from God both in this life and in the next. It's why I always say, sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. Two greatest words in the Bible, though, are but God. But God. But God so loved you, me, people who didn't, people who don't deserve his love, that he promised to send a Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of God, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus and the writers of Scripture claim that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Jesus claimed that that our Heavenly Father sent him on a mission to seek and save those who were lost, to, to die in our place as a sinless, perfect sacrifice to atone for our penalty of sin against him, to forgive us for our violation of sin against him, to restore and redeem and reconcile our broken relationship with him in this life and then the next and to offer us eternal life in his life-giving presence now and forever. That's what Jesus gave his life on the cross for and the moment Jesus defeated death by rising from the grave, he proved that every single thing he claimed was true and that means every person who puts their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life receives what Jesus claimed only he can do and he can provide. Jesus, he lived 30 years, 30 years without anyone knowing that he was a long-awaited Messiah. 30 years preparing for the moment to publicly launch his ministry and fulfill the mission that he was sent for. And after 30 years, the time had finally come. And to help prepare people for him, there was whom we now call John the Baptist. And John's God-given calling, John's God-given purpose in life was was to get first century Jews' hearts ready for the Messiah. So John, he preached day in and day out that the prophesied Messiah that that they had waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for was finally here, had finally arrived, and to prepare their hearts for him by repenting, by turning from their sins. And as you can imagine, many of them rejected John's message because it's just hard to believe. And after hundreds of years, yeah, right, the Messiah showed up, and sure, John, he's here. But the ones who accepted his message were baptized by John to publicly proclaim that they were repenting. They were repenting, and they were ready for the Messiah to come. And this is John, you know, preaching and baptizing people that were associating with his message is how he got the name by us, John the Baptist. And that's where the story picks up. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, which is a river, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. I mean, Jesus decided the way to inaugurate his ministry was to be baptized by John the Baptist in order to publicly associate himself with John's message that the Messiah had arrived. Now, John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And so you can imagine, he's a little hesitant to baptize Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, I ain't worthy of this. You should be baptizing me. Like, no way am I going to do this. And, 
you know, after losing a thumb war to Jesus, because Jesus is probably pretty good at this game, he is God, uh, John consented, you didn't get that? Okay. And, and baptized John. The story goes on. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. I mean, I think one of the greatest things about going to a Husker game, a Husker football game, is the tunnel walk. Particularly over the last few years because not much good has happened after the tunnel walk. Uh, is a tunnel walk, right? And you see it and the music is pumping and you see them walking through the tunnel and they're getting ready to step onto the field. And I mean, everyone in the stands, all 80,000 people are jacked up. Well, this was essentially Jesus' tunnel walk onto the field where God confirmed John the Baptist's message that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, Savior, anointed one, Son of God. And God affirms that in kind of two dramatic yet creative ways. First, he sends a dove to rest on him. And I imagine our Heavenly Father going, okay, how can I like impart my spirit upon him in a way that everyone sees and knows? And it's like, okay, I could do lightning. That's cool in a Thor movie, but I don't know if it's too cool here. You know, like maybe it'll do too dramatic. I know, I'll send a dove comes down and have a nice touch, you know. So he sends a dove, and then he also, also verbally speaks. I mean, and so let me ask you, has anyone verbally heard God speak from heaven in this room? If you raise your hand, you're lying. The answer is no. And none of them people had verbally heard God speak from heaven either. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible very, very, very few times, you ever see God verbally speak from heaven in a way that people hear him. And yet, God chooses to do that now, to go, hey, I'm going to make this very clear on who my son is and who he is. And I look at this kind of like a parent in the stands. You know, like when I played football, I mean, I, you know, my dad, I could hear him in the stand yelling like, there go, Ronnie, that's my boy. And I heard him a lot because I was so good at football. You know, I heard him, and he's yelling, and he's screaming my name. And I imagine, I love what, you know, Heavenly Father saying here about Jesus, like, that's my boy. I'm well pleased. I love him. That's my boy. I mean, have you, have you ever experienced a spiritual high? Like where you just feel like, mm, man, like I've experienced God's presence. I just feel so close to him. I feel so alive. Like, and you just not, never want that feeling to end. Listen, if you ever have, I imagine that's how Jesus felt in this moment. He just never felt so alive. He just was on this spiritual high. And this was the most amazing moment of his life. Now, because of that, what you expect to happen next is people just start following Jesus out of there. You know, he walks on water right away. You know, he starts healing people and, you know, casting out demons and doing miracles. But not anything close to that happened next. Here's what happened. Then, which means immediately after. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. Right after his best moment, his heavenly Father, the one who loves him and who he's well pleased with, led him into the desert, the dirtiest, nastiest, worst place on earth, to be tempted by Satan himself, whom the writers of Scripture call God's enemy, your enemy, my enemy, whom they call the king of darkness, the father of lies, the tempter. Now, after 30 years of living, this was probably not the first time Jesus was tempted, and it probably wouldn't be the last time he was tempted either. 
But it was the only time he was tempted in the most extreme way as he was going to stand face to face with the tempter himself. And he was led by his heavenly father into the desert for it to happen. Why? Why would God lead him there knowing that he would end up being tempted? Why would God want Jesus' mission that that Jesus waited 30 years to start, to start like this? Well, doctrinally, it makes sense. I mean, doctrinally, here's the doctrinal answer. that for, For Jesus to die in our place as the perfect sinless sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven, he had to live a perfect sinless life. I mean, this was the the ultimate test for him to prove he was who he claimed to be and can do what only he claimed he could do. To prove that he was the Messiah, he had to prove that he was more than just self-controlled. He had to prove that he can stare the tempter himself down in the face and defeat any temptation of sin that he threw at him. He had to prove that he was tempted in the most extreme way, yet was without sin, was perfect, was holy. And that's the doctrinal answer. But on the personal side, I'd like to believe God led Jesus into the desert to be tempted in the most extreme way so that when we're faced with temptation, we can trust that our Savior understands and empathizes with us. I mean, Jesus was tempted with what he came to save us from and forgive us for. He knows what it feels like to be tempted in every single way that you ever have in the most extreme way. And he also knows what it takes to defeat it. Now this verse, it debunks a couple myths about temptation. Myth number one, that if you were truly a follower of Christ... If you've truly put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sin and leader of your life, you won't be tempted to sin. That's a myth. Here's the truth. You will be tempted to sin no matter how much faith you have. I mean, Jesus was tempted. If he was tempted, you can assure you're going to be tempted too. Listen, being a follower of Christ doesn't make you perfect. I don't know who in the world came up with that stupid statement. Being a follower of Christ doesn't make you perfect. It makes you forgiven. That's it. Being tempted to sin have nothing, has nothing to do if you're in a saving relationship with Jesus or, not, or if you're forgiven for your sin or not. You will be tempted to sin no matter how much faith you have, no matter how long you follow Jesus, no matter how much you love Jesus, no matter how committed to Jesus you are. And the faster you accept it, the better chances you have to defeat it. And as we're going to see with Jesus' story, God will allow you to be tempted. Writers of Scripture are very clear. He never tempts you himself, but he will allow you to be tempted. Could God save you from being tempted at all? You bet he could save you from being tempted, but he doesn't. Instead, he allows you and me to be tempted. Why? Listen, I don't have all the answers to that question, but what I do know, what I do know is on the other side of defeating temptation is where I've experienced the most transformation and where I've seen others experience the most transformation as well. God's goal, God's goal for you and for me is that we are transformed more into everything he created us to be because it's through that that he is more glorified and you and I experience more of him. And maybe, just maybe, God cares more about your transformation than he cares about your comfort. 
and every temptation we face, we can look at it as a follow Jesus issue, which means we can look at it as a transformation issue. Because the way we're more transformed of who God created us to be is by following Jesus one next step at a time. The second myth this verse debunks is this. Here's the myth, and I alluded to it earlier. Lack of self-control is behind every temptation. It's a myth. The truth is Satan is ultimately the one behind every temptation. The writers of Scripture call Satan our enemy, God's enemy, who's like a roaring lion prowling around waiting for someone to devour. devour. Jesus calls him the thief whose only purpose is to steal and kill and destroy you. And one of the ways that Satan does it is through tempting us to sin because he knows sin makes us dead because ultimately sin hurts our relationship with our heavenly father. And listen, Satan's not always the one personally tempting you, but he's ultimately behind our temptations, even when we're tempted because of our natural inclinations to sin, which writers of Scripture call our flesh or our sin nature. Because of that, you will never defeat temptation through self-control alone, which is why this series is so important. You will never just grind your teeth and I'm going to defeat it and think that you're going to overcome it. You won't. Satan is ultimately the one behind our temptation to sin. He's always lurking. He's always looking for a way to tempt you. And more, more than likely, he'll strike when you're most vulnerable, like he did with Jesus. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. After being led into the desert, Jesus spent 40 days alone, fasting, no food, praying. And as you can imagine, after 40 days of that, he ain't on a spiritual high anymore. He just didn't walk out of the river getting baptized. Like, the, the claps were a long time ago. He's tired. He's hungry. And in that moment, the tempter, Satan, came to him. It wasn't until Jesus was at his lowest, weakest, most vulnerable that Satan showed up because he knew that's when Jesus would be most easily temptable. And the same is true with us. <laughs> None of us are most tempted when we're on our spiritual high. Like if you've ever walked out of here on a morning and you feel inspired and convicted, for the next 15 minutes is not when you're the most tempted. You know, like that, that never happens. You know what I mean? When everything's going great and relationally it's going great, it's never when you're the most tempted. You're going to be the most tempted when you are the most vulnerable. And we're the most vulnerable when we're the most hungry or most angry or most lonely or most tired. When Jesus was the most vulnerable to be tempted is when Satan showed up to tempt him. And the same is true with you and me. Now, in the verses that follow, Satan tempts Jesus three specific times in three specific ways. And I believe every temptation that we, that you, that I face can be linked to one of Jesus' three temptations. Now, you already know how the story ends. You already know that Jesus defeated temptation, that he defeated Satan. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look behind the curtain of Jesus' three temptations to see how Satan tempted him. What made the temptation so tempting, and how Jesus ultimately defeated Satan and temptation. And hopefully, 
Hopefully, by discovering the truths behind the curtain of Jesus' temptations and seeing how he responded, we can see the truth of what's behind our temptations and get the strength and the leverage to defeat them as well. But to begin this series, we've got to start with the first truth that I already told you about that's hidden behind the curtain in the moment of temptation that we don't see, don't know, or don't remember. And that is, behind the curtain of every temptation, there's always more at stake than we realize. What was at stake behind the curtain of Jesus' temptation was his ability to be the perfect, sinless Savior. What was, what was at stake behind the curtain of Jesus' temptation was ultimately your salvation and my salvation. There's always more at stake than we realize. Listen, in the midst of temptation, when we see this, we naturally assume that, you, you know, all that's at stake is what's right in front of us. All that we see, you know, getting him, getting her, losing him or her, getting caught or not, getting in trouble or not, our reputation, our fulfillment, fun, instant gratification, immediate gratification, opportunity, FOMO. But there's always more at stake than we realize. Could one of the reasons that we find tempt- temptation so tempting is because we never stop to think about what's really is at stake? So what's really at stake? Well, I believe behind the curtain of temptation, three things are always at stake. Behind the curtain of temptation, first, your future's at stake. Listen, we all know everything has a cause and effect relationship. Like you know this when it comes to our physical bodies, right? You eat more crap, you get fatter. You eat better stuff and less, you get skinnier. You work out more, you get healthier. You work out less, you get more unhealthy. It's, it's cause and effect. It's not rocket science. We all know this. But in the midst of temptation, we easily believe it's isolated from everything else and it won't affect anything else. And it's just a lie. And who do you think is behind all those lies? Listen, we're tempted. We start to think, we, we start thinking that it's all, all that's at stake is the immediate. That's the only thing is at stake is what's right now. It's just spring break. It's just one drink. It's just one time. Tomorrow, everything's going to be fine. No one will ever know. It's not that big of a deal. And God's going, your heavenly father's going, there's more at stake. It's bigger than him. It's bigger than her. It's bigger than now. Your future's at stake. Listen, how many of us right now in this room are living regret because of something we did 10 years ago? Many of us. And young people in the room, listen, I know you're smarter than me. And I know you're smarter than us old people. I get it. But just by chance, maybe in this one thing, you're not listening to me real fast. The decisions you make today are going to follow you into the next season of your life. And I know you don't believe me because I didn't believe it when I was your age either. But listen, there's some of us old people that today are haunted by decisions we made 10, 20, 30 years ago. And right now, I get it, you're smarter than I am. And so some of you aren't going to listen. You'll be like, I'm the exception to the rule. Ronnie, you don't know. I get it. Have fun. Your future is going to be loaded with landmines. You're going to blow your leg off. 
But for the ones of you who listen and apply what we're going to talk about throughout the series, you're going to avoid some future regret, some future pain, and some future hardship. Secondly, behind the curtain of temptation of sin, listen, your family's at stake. And not just your family, but the people you say you love. And what's at stake is their well-being and your relationship with them. Listen, some, some of us are paying a huge price for the temptations our parents couldn't overcome. It wasn't even your temptation. And yet you are so affected by it today. Listen, in the moment of temptation, it's easy to think, it's just my little deal. This isn't going to affect anyone else. It won't affect the people I love. It's just my little deal. In the moment of temptation, we don't naturally stop to think about others. The truth is that temptation is never isolated to just you. It affects others and it affects your relationship with others. Now, I have a big love-hate relationship with social media. I love it because it's an extraordinary platform for some extraordinary, you know, positive influence. But I hate it because it's a platform that can destroy our lives so quickly. And I see it happening in so many young people's lives. I don't even know what I'd have done if I, when I was a teenager, if, I, if social media existed. It would have probably messed me up. And so I had this love-hate relationship with it. Well, with I have two te- two teenage daughters, and you know, they have their devices and phones and iPads and all that crazy stuff and so I but I had this love-hate relationship and so you know we're we're pretty you know strict about social media uh, in our house and so we allow them to have it but we say here's the deal if we ever see you looking at anything inappropriate on your phone on your iPad whatever it is you will lose your device and you will delete every social media app that you have and you will never have it again while you live in our home now, they know what's at stake when they're tempted to look at something they shouldn't. They know one thing's at stake is like losing social media and losing their devices. But I never wanted them to think that was all that was at stake. Because there's a lot bigger, something else bigger at stake than that. And so I've continued to have the conversations like, hey, if you choose to look at this, you need to know what's at stake. And what's at stake is my trust in you. So every time you're tempted to look at something inappropriate on social media, you have to ask, is this worth losing my dad's trust in me? Because, and I, that is kind of, hey, girls, if I lose my trust in you, do you think that's going to do anything good for our relationship? No, dad, we don't think that's going to do anything good. You're right. It'll do nothing good for it. So when you're tempted to look at it, you have to ask yourself, is the next two minutes worth losing my dad's trust and hurting our relationship? Because your family's at stake. Third, behind the curtain of of temptation to sin, you got to know, your faith is at stake. Now, some... For some of you, like faith in God, faith in Jesus and temptation, I get it. They seem on different hemispheres. But what we're going to see in this series, in all three temptations Jesus faced, the issue was, could his heavenly father be trusted to meet his needs? Which means every time we're tempted to sin, we're faced with the question, can I trust God? Will I trust God? Listen, Satan knows that by getting you to turn away from Jesus through sin, he could steal the life and the hope and the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that Jesus came came for, died for, and rose from the grave to give you. And so he tempts and he tempts and he tempts and he tempts and he tempts. And the number one thing, you got to notice, the number one thing that I see that makes people walk away from following Jesus, from trusting Jesus, from living for Jesus, from experiencing God, is not the Bible and issues they have with the Bible. It's not doctrinal disagreements. 
It's not theological questions that can't be answered. It's not all your unanswered philosophical questions. The number one thing that makes people not follow Jesus, trust God, give up in, 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 in you know, their faith in Jesus, is giving in to the temptation to sin over and over and over again. Because here's what sin does. Sin hardens our heart toward God. Sin fills us with shame. It fills us with regret. Sin makes us prideful. Like, I know what's right. I know what's best. You don't tell me. You don't, this, you don't know how this affects me. This is my way. This is my truth. Sin makes us run from God. Sin makes us isolate ourselves from people who can help us follow Jesus. Sin makes us blame God and blame others for not experiencing God. And the reality for some of us is that we have sinned our way out of knowing and out of trusting and out of experiencing God. And you're trying to blame everyone else for it and you blame your mama for it and you blame your T-Live group for it and you blame the church for it. But it's your own fault. Because you've got to know you'll quit behaving long before you quit believing. So my question is, what is, the, what is potentially at stake behind the curtain of your biggest temptation? Is what's at stake worth defeating that temptation? I hope you say yes, because your future your family, your faith are way more important, way more invaluable than whatever it is that you're tempted with. The question is how? And we're going to be answering that throughout the rest of the series. But today I'm going to challenge you to start by doing one thing that Jesus did. And we're going to see Jesus do it all throughout all three of his temptations. I want to challenge you just by, start, by starting to commit to do the one thing Jesus did. And here's what Jesus did. He said no to it. And you're like, well, I can't do that. If I could have, I would have. Yes, you can. If you're a follower of Christ, you especially can because the same spirit that empowered Jesus to defeat temptation, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave resides in you and me. The way to start defeating temptation, the way for Satan to start losing power and control in you uh, and over you is by saying no to temptation. And it can sound a lot of different ways, but here's one phrase I want to give you to the, uh, how to say no to temptation. Hey, temptation, you will not steal my future. You will not stand, steal my family. You will not steal my faith. Listen, when you're tempted to sin, you can talk directly to Satan, but that's really weird for some of you. I get it. So just talk directly to the temptation. This is essentially what Jesus did. And this is which means it has power in it. That every time we're tempted to say, I'm going to talk directly to it out loud to temptation. You will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. You will not steal my faith. So listen, we don't usually do this, so we need some practice. So we're going to practice out loud. You ready? On the count of three. And at home, I know it's weird. You're, someone might hear you. Let them hear you. Okay, here we go. Let's practice that out. One, two, three. Temptation. You will not steal my future. You will not steal my Oh, some of you are in big trouble. You're going to fall like a bag of bricks this week. If you say, listen, you ain't never done this before, so you got to like, temptation. You got to talk to it with authority like a Spartan. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to practice it again. So, but say it like you mean it, not temptation. I hope you take me out today. Here we go. One, two, three. Temptation, you will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. You will not steal my faith. So here's the deal. I'm going to challenge you for four weeks. Just four weeks. It's four weeks. You can do anything for four weeks. Four weeks. Every time you're tempted over the next four weeks throughout the series to say no to it in this way. And don't say it in your, in your brain. Don't say it quietly in your prayers. Say it out loud. 
Listen, it's weird. I get it. But is it worth defeating? I didn't expect a loud answer. Good job. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Four weeks. Just four weeks. Now, here's the cool thing. By doing this, you're not really saying no, actually. Nearly as much as you're saying yes. Yes to following Jesus by being obedient to God. (laughs) And do you know what's behind the curtain of obedience? Here it is. It's freedom. Freedom to know and be known. Freedom from guilt and shame. Freedom to be able to have healthy relationships. Freedom from the slavery of sin. Freedom from the power and control of the enemy in your life. Freedom to walk into a future that doesn't have landmines that can destroy you. Freedom to have peace. Peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with others. Freedom for your trust in God to grow. Freedom for God to transform you more into everything he's created you to be. Freedom to experience the life and hope and peace and joy and fulfillment that can only come from God. Listen, choosing obedience to God, it doesn't take away your freedom. It sets you up to to, to, to to be free to truly live. And you got to understand this. Giving into temptation is giving up everything for one thing. Obedience to God is just giving up one thing for everything, for freedom. Because to truly be free is to truly live. Listen, for some of you, by choosing to say no to temptation over the next four weeks in this way, you're going to be set free from things that have enslaved you for years and years and years. For others, you are going to see and experience God like never before in your life, maybe for the very first time. Listen, to close out our time together, um, Ben and Justin are going to sing a, a song called The Stand Over You While You Sit. And as you sit there, either at home or in this room, I encourage you and I challenge you not just to listen to the words of this song. I encourage and I challenge you to make this a time of prayer to commit to God. God, over the next four weeks, over the next four weeks, I am going to take a stand and say no to temptation and yes to you and yes to whatever you lead me into. Listen, if you do that. During this time, as you, if you're a follower of Christ and you do that, during this time then, leave all the guilt behind. Leave all the shame behind for past sin because you're forgiven. You're forgiven. This is the time to declare, I'm stepping into freedom. If you're not a follower of Christ, you need to know. Jesus came, he died, and he rose to forgive you. But he also came to free you to live. And that starts with faith in Jesus Asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sin and leader of our life. If you feel a stirring in your heart to do that during the song, afterwards, I'm going to come up and I'm going to pray over all of us and I'm going to lead you into a prayer as well. You stood before creation Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand 
You stood before my failures And carried the cross for my shame And my sin weighed upon your shoulders My soul now to stand So what can I say And what can I do But offer this heart, oh God Completely to you So I walk upon salvation Your spirit alive in me My life to declare Your promise My soul now to stand So what can I say And what can I do church these words are really simple words but they're profound it's a great way to end our time this morning so I'm going to invite us to just stand to our feet wherever you're at wherever you're at spiritually wherever you're at physically today I'm just going to invite you to sing these words and treat them seriously take this time treat them as a prayer to lay the groundwork for this weekend this week ahead of us And just proclaim the fact that Jesus Christ and the work that he did for you and for me is seriously the only way that we're going to stand against temptation this week. Let's sing it together as a church. Yeah, I stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am. 
Lift our voice. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Yeah. gave it all, so we give it all, and all I am is yours, yeah, 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 all I am is yours, just sing it one more time, yeah, and all I am is yours, yeah. Lord, I pray that our lives proclaim that, that all we are is yours not just our words. I pray that uh, we truly choose to step into this and truly just say yes to you and following you through obedience. Uh, Lord, for every person who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, they felt a stirring in their heart during this time. I pray that right now they choose to do that, either at home or in this room, that they declare their need for a Savior for the forgiveness of their sin. They proclaim, Jesus, that they believe you can do that through your death and resurrection. That right now they ask you to be their forgiver and the leader of their life. Lord, I pray that as they're praying that now and declaring their faith in you, Jesus, that as your spirit comes and takes residence within them, that they know they're forgiven and that they are empowered now to walk in to freedom. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.